I want you to listen to these words from a Holocaust survivor by the name of Viktor Frankl. He said, a man who becomes conscious of the responsibility he bears toward others or to an unfinished work will never be able to throw away his life. He knows the why for his existence and he will be able to bear almost any how. Now, these words spoken by Viktor Frankl are powerful because of the story that Viktor experienced. Uh, Viktor spent three incredibly long, grueling, painful, sorrowful years and four different concentration camps during World War II. It was just nine months after he was married that him and his wife and his entire family were dragged into the very first concentration camp. And there, his wife, who was nine months pregnant with his baby, was forced to have an abortion by the Nazis. It was also there that Victor's dad died of starvation. And soon after that, they were transported to Auschwitz where his mother and his brother would both go on to be murdered in the gas chambers. And then, unbeknownst to Victor at the time, his wife was taken from Auschwitz to Bergen-Belsen and she was killed there in Bergen-Belsen. So think about this story, in three years, Victor lost literally every member of his family, wife included, unborn baby included, except for himself and his sister who escaped to Australia. And after he survived his time, he wrote this book called Man's Search for Meaning, which was really explaining this weird, bizarre phenomenon that he witnessed in the concentration camps where two very different groups of people developed. Uh, On the one hand, you had one group of people that had a sense of purpose and a sense of meaning. They, They had a sense of almost thriving inside of the concentration camps. They were full of hope. They were full of resilience. And many of those people, with God's grace and depending on how things happened, went on to survive. But then there was another group of people in these concentration camps that developed that were the polar opposite. Instead of having resilience, they lacked all hope. They were full of despair. And many of those people would go on to not survive their time in the camps and not survive because they gave up a will to live. They were uh, trying to escape knowing that they couldn't just so that they could get shot and killed. Uh, Some of them were getting themselves over to be beaten to death. Others were volunteering for the gas chambers. They just lost all sense of desire and will to live. And here's what made the big difference between the two. What Victor said is the group that had a sense of purpose, the the, the group that had a sense of meaning, that had a sense of, I have to do something when I get out of here, were the people that went on to survive. Uh, For Victor, it was the fact that he started a book before World War II and he wanted to finish his book. And the thought of reconnecting with his wife after the war was something that he really used as as a fuel to survive. For other people, it was a complete crisis of meaning and that's why they didn't make it. Now here's why I bring that story up is because men in our current cultural moment today are experiencing an immense crisis of meaning. We are experiencing a crisis of meaning that's in many ways unique. For most men in our world, hopelessness and despair are the norm. Like, let me just give you some stats that are really recent and really alarming. Suicide is now the single biggest killer of men under the age of 45. Just by show of hands, how many of you have had a friend or someone you know, someone close to you that has taken their life by suicide? Just raise your hand. Look around the room. Like, this is now the biggest killer of men 
45 and younger, three and a half times more likely men are to take their lives than women are. 69% of the homeless population are men. The prison system is 93% male. Men are failing in virtually every discernible category in education, in the workplace, in relationships, in home. Men are experiencing a crisis of meaning. And so it just begs the question, like, what does it look like to become men of resilience again? What does it look like to become men, not of despair, but of hope? What, what do we need to recover our resilience? And I think the, the thing that we need to recover is the why of our existence. We need to remember why God made man in the the first place? Why did he make us? Why did he put us here? And what's interesting about this is he didn't just make humanity, or he didn't make a genderless people, or he didn't just make a world with women. He made a world with men. Why? Why are we here? What is our mission? Well, to, to answer that, we've already done some work around this. Last night, Kevin in that beautiful fire hose of glory that he gave us last night, and already even this morning, we're talking about this idea. But to get a recovery, we got to go back to our origin story. And what we see in Genesis chapter 1, as Kevin talked about last night, is that God made humanity, male and female, to be his image bearers, to reflect him in the world, to represent him in the world, to take all that God is and actually offer that in goodness to the world. So men and women together are called to be fruitful and to multiply, which means more than just have babies, but certainly includes that. Men and women are called to rule over the earth. Men and women are called to have dominion. But why men? Why did he make us? Well, to get the answer to that, if you turn the page to Genesis chapter 2, you have a profoundly gender-specific mission that is given to just men. Adam as the archetype, if you will, Adam as a real man, but functioning as this archetype for all men that you and I are called to live in, into. So in light of that, Genesis chapter two, look at these words, they'll be on the screen, verse five. When no bush of the field was yet in the land and no small plant of the field had yet sprung up, for the Lord God had not caused it to rain on the land, and look at this interesting line, there was no man to work the ground. And a mist was going up from the land and was watering the whole face of the ground. Then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living creature. This is a big verse, verse eight. And the Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east and there he put the man whom he had formed. Verse 15 is massive. If you skip ahead, it says this, the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and keep it. Friends, this is the big thing that I want you to see. You have been sovereignly placed by God in a garden. This is a real story of a real man, but it's an archetype of our story as men that you and I have been placed by God in a very specific garden. And step one of recovering our masculine mission, you know, when we think of mission, we want to fast forward to the Great Commission, but it's actually chapter two of Genesis that gives us the paradigm of how you and I are called to live as men. Here's the big idea here is that you and I have been given physical places to live. You and I have been given giftings and wirings and talents and interests and abilities. You have a job. You have friendships. You have a circle of influence. You have, some of us, a wife. 
Some of us have children. This is the garden that God has placed you in. And the very first thing of recovering your mission as a man is realizing that God has placed you there and he's placed you there. Not your wife or your brother or your friend or your roommate or someone you work with. God has placed you in the garden that he has given you. It's your garden. And that leads me to the mission that I want you to see. Look at verse 15. The Lord God took the man and he put him in the garden of Eden. Why? To work it, to work it. Your mission as a man is to cultivate the garden that God has placed you in, to cultivate it, to actually build something, to take what's chaotic and bring order to it, to to take what's broken and to bless it, to create culture in the garden that God has given you. I love these words of Richard Pratt. He says, the great king has summoned each of us into his throne room. Take this portion of my kingdom, he says. I'm making you my steward over your office, your workbench, your kitchen stove. Put your heart into mastering this part of my world. Get it in order, unearth its treasures, do all you can with it. Then everyone will see what a glorious king I am. That's why we get up every morning and go to work. We don't labor simply to survive. Insects do that. Our work is an honor, a privileged commission from our, our, from our great king. God has given each of us a portion of his kingdom to explore and to develop to its fullness. This is why, by the way, every man that you know, unless they're wildly depressed, and I don't say that uh, to be mean, but every man that you know, unless they're really, really struggling with intense depression, is just filled with hobbies. And it doesn't take us long, does it, to get into something? And once we get into it, it's like 47 hours of YouTube later, a couple hundred dollars, we've bought some stuff that we didn't need. We are going to master this hobby, right? I I went on a run for the first time in years this last week. And guess what I was doing late that night? I was researching running shoes. I was having conversations with other runner friends in my life. Like, how do you do this? I want to get better. I'm hurting all over my body, right? We we do something once and we want to cultivate it. But here's what's so sad about often what happens with us as men is that we get sidetracked into faux gardens that aren't the garden that God has actually placed us in. We actually spend all of our energy, the best part of our vision, the best part of who we are, the best part of our creativity sometimes doesn't go to our wives. It doesn't go to our kids. It doesn't go to our roommates. It doesn't go to our church. It doesn't go to the garden that God has actually placed us in. And we start to live in this fairy tale faux garden over here, trying to just cultivate and dominate and become good for our sake when God has actually placed man in a garden for the sake of the other. And that leads me to the next thing that I want you to see. Genesis 2.15, the Lord God took the man and he put him in the garden of Eden, not just to work it, but look at this line, to keep it. Your mission as a man is not just to cultivate the garden, but it's to protect the garden that God has placed you in. This word keep is really interesting. It actually comes from the Hebrew word shamar, which means to guard, to protect, to beware, to defend. Think about a role of a man in this way. It means to function like a bodyguard. Think of Adam as the bodyguard of Eden and you as the bodyguard of your garden to be a gatekeeper. This is what it means to be a man. And friends, let me just tell you, this is why men are 
often, on average, stronger than women. This is why men, on on average, are more aggressive than women, because God has built in us natural physical strength that should cue us to something about our wiring and our mission in the world. We were made strong, not to crush those underneath us, not to hurt, but to protect and to care for and to fight for. That's why he made us strong. This is why also, like, I've got three kids. My two girls have never done this, but my five-year-old doesn't need any training. He turns everything into a weapon. Everything is a gun, furniture, his sister, you know, anything he can grab has become a weapon or a gun. He's making explosive sounds with his mouth all in my house all the time because he is just born to fight, and that's actually good. What's sad about our culture is that our culture looks at men with aggressiveness, men with physical strength, and it says that's wrong and that, that's toxic. And often, sometimes our strength has been twisted and misused, and we've lost mission. We've forgotten why God has given us the strength that he's given us. But feminist scholar, there's a lady that said, healthy masculinity, that's an oxymoron. That's like saying healthy cancer. That's what our world thinks of our strength. That's what our world thinks of our aggressiveness. But what I want to encourage you to do is like, please, brothers, by the grace of God, don't dial the physical strength down that God has given you. Don't dial down the aggression that he's built into you. Don't dial down your desire to fight because there actually really is an enemy worth fighting. And it's not the world, but it is the flesh and it is the devil. Listen to Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. I love that line. Be strong in the Lord. That means take your strength, your aggression, and let it be conformed to Jesus. Let it find its place in Jesus. Let it be shaped by the vision of Jesus for your strength. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against authorities, against against the cosmic powers of this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Brothers, on our watch today, the enemy is attacking the garden. The enemy is attacking your wife. The enemy is attacking your kids. The enemy is coming after your roommates. And the garden that God has placed you in to cultivate and to protect, the enemy is coming there. Our role, our strength, our masculinity, our mission is meant to stand there and protect the people that God has placed us in. So what that looks like is repenting of sin, pursuing holiness, walking by the Spirit so that we can actually walk in the fruit of the Spirit and become a source of protection and blessing for those around us. And that leads me to the last thing I want you to see about our mission Your mission, it's not just to cultivate the garden, it's not just to protect the garden, but your mission is to sacrifice yourself for it. To sacrifice yourself for it. Uh, It's sad, but the movie Titanic got it wildly wrong. And I don't mean like, did the ship not sink? No, the ship sank, they got that part of the movie right. Uh, But there's a detail in that film that they got wildly wrong. There's a scene, if you remember in the movie Titanic, where the ship is going down, And there were a bunch of men that started to dress up as ladies so that they could sneak aboard to the life rafts and safely get away. That's actually not historically accurate. The men, and there's articles that have been written about this, newspaper clippings that you can go back and read. The men knew that they were going down with the ship. 
In fact, it was their, their masculine strength in the moment that just looked around at other men and said, hey, let's do everything we can so that the women and the children can get safely off of the ship. We are giving our very lives for the women and the children on this boat. That's what it is to be a man. I remember a story, you may remember this in the news several years ago, a shooting in Aurora, Colorado, where a guy came into a theater and he opened fire in the crowds in the theater. And of the 12 people who died in that shooting, here's what's fascinating to me, four of them were young men. Young men who were not with their moms, not with their wives, but with other ladies. And when the shooter came in, you can read articles about this. Instinctively, those men threw the ladies on the ground and put their bodies over those ladies and gave their physical life in the protection of the women that they were with. That's the picture of godly masculinity. That's what you and I are called into. Now, here's what's hard. I think if somebody were to come in this room right now or you know, in other spaces that we find ourselves in and open fire, I think many of us would rise to the challenge. I think many of us would rush and lay our bodies down and take the gunfire. But there's a type of mundane slowness, a slow sacrificial death that looks like coming home from work with reserves in the tank, that looks like being faithful and present with your kids, that looks like pursuing the hearts of the people that God has put in your life, that actually looks like putting yourself last so that you can put those around you first, and it's tiring and exhausting, and no one's gonna write a book about it, and maybe no one out there will remember, but it actually is the way that you and I are called to sacrifice our lives for the garden that God has placed us in. What would it look like if your life, like you got okay with the slow death, and by the way, if you're a follower of Jesus in the room, there's no way out of death. Deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow after Jesus. Death is constantly the way for Christians. But the good news is that on the other side of death is resurrection. Friends, this is why Adam's failure was not just a failure as humanity, but the failure as a man. Rather than working, Adam was watching. Rather than protecting, Adam was passive. Rather than repenting, Adam ran and hid. Rather than taking responsibility, Adam shifted the blame to his wife. Rather than dying for Eve, Adam dies for Eve. What should have happened in the story is he offered his life for Eve, but instead he dies with her. Rather than bringing life and blessing to the world, Adam brought cursing and death. But here's the good news, and this is the hope, is that there's another man who came. The Bible refers to him as the greater Adam, the second Adam. And this Adam is good news for us, not just because he shows us what it is to be a man on mission, but because he came to also forgive us for the ways that we failed and redeem us and restore us back to our mission. Listen to this man. Unlike Adam, Jesus stayed faithful. Unlike Adam, Jesus crushed the head of the serpent. Unlike Adam, Jesus took responsibility not for his sin, but for our sin. Unlike Adam, Jesus literally laid his own life down for his bride, the church. And unlike Adam, Jesus brought life and blessing to the whole world. When you watch Jesus, when you follow Jesus, when your life gets wrapped up in Jesus, when you put everything that you are as a man into Jesus, you become a man on mission.